Hello, listeners. Katie here from the Coconut Grove podcast. And I'm here this week with Ashley and Stephanie Gomez from So Collective. Stephanie is going to teach us about urban gardening, urban farming, and all things sustainable food. We're really excited for you guys to listen to this episode. Let's dive in. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the lounge. Ooh, we're lounging. We're lounging. I love it. I love the name so much. I'm so glad you love it too. <laughs> I really just, I'm like, now I want to get the sign that says the lounge, like for right here. Just like a flashing light, like a flash, yeah. like a recording sign, but it says the lounge. Wouldn't that be yeah, so Yeah, the cool? lounge is in action. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Well, kick off the lounge because you did something really fun. Yeah. That you kind um, of like teased us about last week. <laughs> so I went to Rosalia. Um, for those who don't know, I'm sure you you could hear her on TikTok by just yeah. listening if to anything. If you don't know, TikTok. you sleep under a rock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so she was incredible. She pretty much brought tears to all my friends' eyes because they actually Aww. understood the lyrics. I just enjoyed the melody and the songs and had a great time. I dressed up. Um, I rocked some like neon green eyeliner and some bubble braids and had Fun. an amazing time. I cannot get the green off my eyes, so I just put more green on my eyes. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Um, Wait, I mean, I can't, the, the, it's too blurry. It's definitely pixelated. I think my internet might not be great right now, but what green, is it like eyeliner? What what green did you do? Now I just put like a metallic, uh, paint pen, like an eyeliner pen. Um, but on the Rosalia day I had like a full on like green, like on the top (sighs) and on the waterline and it was like neon green. And so my inspiration was neon green. Yes, it was cool. Had to be loud. Yeah, it had to be loud. I and yeah, we just had the best time. So now I'm like, okay, I have to learn how to speak Spanish. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Yeah, Yeah. so you can like party and talk shit and understand what's going on. (laughs) There's nothing better than talking shit in Spanish. I whenever I'm like talking shit when Esther's around, I'm like, you got to teach me the the equivalent phrase of me talking shit in English. Like what phrase would this be? Because I need to learn it. <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's this one. It's the one I say all the time. I'm like, oh, okay. That makes sense. Because <laughs> he's the king yeah. shit talker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. What else did you do? Um. So we also went to Knott's Berry Farms for Not Scary Farms. And I'm sure lots of people from LA have done that before, but it's new to me. And I, I haven't done a, it. Oh, really? It, uh, yeah, not the, I'm a bit. No, I don't think I've been to Knott's at all. Actually, is it is it actually oh, really? scary? What is it? Tell me. Um, I know nothing. <laughs> like some of it can be scary. Like there's like actual actors in the park, just like walking around, scaring you. And if you're not expecting them, they can be pretty dang frightening. <laughs> There was like Mm. a point where like like four or five of them, yeah, like came up to me and were like jumping at me. They don't touch you, but they're like get really, really close to you. And I just like start screaming and just grabbing Mike. Like I literally scream my head off for a minute. (laughs) So yeah, like they can really catch you. Do you enjoy doing that? Do you like do you like to be scared? Um I always in a controlled environment. (laughs) Yeah, I always think that I don't, but then I have an amazing time and then I'm like, okay, yeah, I do. Yeah. So I don't know how I end up with these things, but I always have an amazing time. Like oh, I would never fun. choose to do this on purpose, but I always have a really good time. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to a haunted yeah. house this weekend. Not like I'm plugging cool. this for anything, but I love scary stuff. 
I love being you do. scared. In a Which controlled environment. Are you going to? <laughs> uh, I don't know. My friend is my friend invited me. Um, let me look it up. It's called Reign of Terror, Haunted House, Thousand Oaks, California. Scariest haunt. Oh, I've seen posters for that that's gonna be is this one horribly scary okay i'm going with a bunch of girls so it's like gonna be a bunch of like squealy (laughs) girls probably like at everything so i'm excited (laughs) (laughs) that's gonna be awesome you'll have the best time yeah yeah so in Um, other news (laughs) yeah that's not my story or fun update okay i know everybody's waiting two episodes long for me to reveal what i did to my hair uh, well, you can't see audience. You're going to have to go to my Instagram right now. I'll give you a second to pull my Instagram. It's at 80 Desson. All right. Okay. If you're typing it, you didn't open the app yet. No, okay, open the app. Okay. Type it. Katie Desson. There you go. Okay. First photo. Boom. My hair is red. I dyed my hair red. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It's literally been a childhood dream. I, I, I was obsessed with Ariel since I have memories, like she was probably my favorite princess, favorite Disney anything since I was a kid. Um, So I've always loved Ariel. And Lindsay Lohan was like one of my like icons as a kid too. I've seen pretty much every Lindsay Lohan movie or like I have seen them all and I've seen them many times. I love her. So yeah, it was just like a natural like instinct, I guess. I'm like, I have to do red. I've I've done blonde. And I dyed my hair slightly darker than my regular hair color. And I've done like a strawberry tint to my hair where it wasn't like it didn't dye it, but like tinted it. But I've never done like a full head of hair dye, um, like a completely different color. So this is the first time. And it's really exciting, really fun. I am. Do you love it? What do you think? Oh, yeah. You saw my response. I was like. what a compliment oh my god i I was like you got to be kidding that is the compliment of compliments i was (laughs) i had to pin it yeah i was like i hope that that's what you're gonna be for halloween because you look perfect right now for that it didn't come to mind but yeah no now i'm thinking of all the halloween costumes i could be i have like unlocked a section of halloween costumes for the red hair um, well, and you, my you've stylist unlocked, like a whole like world job. for yourself. Yeah, a whole new world. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Um, yeah, my stylist did a great job. Um, it, our audio editor, their partner, uh, is the one who did my hair for like full context, full circle. Um, I'm over the moon. I'm really excited. Um, we did just like a non-permanent dye so I could have like a really easy way out if I hated it. Uh, but I think I'm going to like commit to it next appointment and just like do the, like do the permanent dye. What do you think? Should I go for I it? Do you like job. it? I, I, I love it. Oh yeah. And I also really just love the photos of you in that pink. I was like, geez, like you look so good in these warm colors. I know. I didn't think warm was my... I know, right? I'm like, I think I should be blue and whatever, but... No. pink really... It really rocked it. Really popping. I know. It looks cool. Anyways, that's me. That's my update. Congrats. Um, I'll pass the mic (laughs) to you. What are you... What is your sunshine medicine? 
Oh, yeah, it's so funny. I'm like, I, I was wondering, like, what really is bringing me joy this week? And it's very simple. It comes in this little bottle. <laughs> yeah, the um, the Willow Room Spray. Shut from- up! Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! Shut up! <laughs> That's literally you have the it best too? smell. I'm obsessed with it. I have the candle. Three, I have oh three versions God. of that candle. I bought the hand soap in that smell. And I have yes. that exact room spray. It's insanely good. It smells so it's good. so good. <laughs> I, oh, it's so funny. <laughs> you need to move that to what's hot because you and I are passionate about this smell. It's clear. <laughs> Don't worry. I have another what's hot for you, but this is, this had to make the list. Like it's incredible. So for people who are like, so hold, hold the phone. <laughs> it's the <laughs> what is Willow the smell? fragrance and it's the Magnolia collection at Target. It's like a little bottle that you just spritz the room, two spritzes or like, you know, six or seven, if you're me. And then when you come home, it just smells like fresh linens and trees. It's so pretty. It's so nice. Yeah. It's such a neutral scent too. It's yeah. It's so neutral. It doesn't, it's not too feminine. It doesn't have like that musky masculineness to it either. It's like right in the middle. I love it. That is a great. Yeah. Mike likes it too. And it, yeah, passes all the tests. Oh, it's just, it makes me feel so happy. I've just been spritzing every, I spritzed the dog. I was like, you're going to smell oh good. <laughs> We're going to smell good. <laughs> That's probably not allowed, but it happened. Sorry. <laughs> oh right. Marley will deal. <laughs> yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> so what's your sunshine medicine? Uh, that's hilarious. Um, my sunshine medicine is, is a weird one. Um, I got a new turtle tank. Which you're like, why is that sunshine medicine? It's so big. Okay, first of all, it's way bigger than the old turtle tank that we used to have. And we didn't realize how big it was until we picked it up. And it's very big. It's like as long as like one of those Ikea bookshelves like laying down. Like, you know which ones I'm talking about? So it's really long. The cube ones. Yeah. Yeah, the cube ones, but laying down. Um, so we put it by the window and it catches the light from the sun like so much more than without it there. It like kind of like refracts it, I guess, and just like makes the room really bright. And it makes our apartment look really rich because it's like a huge, basically like fish tank in the middle of the apartment. So the apartment is brighter and there's just like this glorious, rich looking turtle tank that we got for half off at Petco. <laughs> I love that. You're like, we basically put a giant prism in the window full of turtles. Yeah. Yeah. And the turtles are so (laughs) happy. They're like, oh my gosh, so much extra space now. Because they got so big. They like had another growth spurt. We're like, what the heck? You have to stop growing. (laughs) Uh, But I think they should. surprise you. Yeah. We Googled it. I think they should be done growing, hopefully. But if not, it might be talking about another upgrade soon. (laughs) But yeah, that's, that's my sunshine so medicine. At first, I thought you were talking about turtlenecks, like the shirt. And I was like, turtle tank. And then I was like, wow, oh, yeah. is there no. something else that I don't know about the US? Okay, that's weird. But no, this makes a lot oh, yeah. more sense. <gasps> oh, turtle tanks are, turtle tanks will be on my what's hot list in a matter of weeks. As soon as it gets cold, I'm a big turtleneck wearer. I love turtlenecks. But now we're going to call them turtle tanks. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> Um, okay what are you looking forward to 
Well, along the lines of what uh, I already did and what you're doing, I also want to continue the scary fun. And I'm thinking I'm debating between the Haunted Hayride or the movies in the Hollywood Cemetery that are playing right now. Oh, so, fun. Stay tuned. I'll if tell you do you a movie, hit me up. Yeah, hit me up yeah, if, because I yes. literally am walking distance from the cemetery. Yeah. It's, it's like it's a like 25 right minute walk, but yeah, it's very close. Well, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah what about you um okay two things one the haunted house like i just talked about earlier i'm really excited the other thing and i text you about this today it's unbelievable i saw that <laughs> free botox f-r-e-e <laughs> free free botox 20 units like it's insane it's more than i got when i got it myself for the very first time more units it's actually free. incredible no catch it's insane I'm going tomorrow. Why are they doing it? What are they doing? I well, marketing. Katie says they're doing it to to like for lead gen, like to essentially like get new customers in, so they can start emailing you and keep you in for like a regular client. Because Botox is one of those things; it requires maintenance. So, marketing Katie is thinking of it like, okay, they're just trying to attract me to keep me on business, so I go there every three months and then go there for my facials and go there for everything else. That's that's what I assume they're, that's why they're doing it for. Um, but they're marketing it as face your fears day to try Botox for the first time. So oh. I'm going to tell them I never had it because my forehead, it, does, it looks like I never had it done. Well, actually, I'm getting it done in a spot I never had it done anyways. So yeah, free Botox. I'm Are you going to so do excited. the lip flip? No, I'm going to do my forehead because last time I did just a brow lift. like. Um, just the Botox brow lift. This time I'm going to do the forehead, actual forehead, because I think that's where the muscles need those 20 units more. <laughs> I'll do a lip flip on another day. On their but next yeah. free day. That's incredible. Yeah, I would totally come, but unfortunately I got called into the hospital both days. Womp, womp. Oh, well. It's pretty next sad. Year. Yeah. Next year. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they run the promo again. <laughs> yeah. You can tell them. <laughs> I'll come for their next promo. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, what's hot? Tell us the what's hot. Okay, so you told me that the room spray should be here, but I have two things. One is one thing I actually love, and one thing is one a, a thing that I'm a little bit afraid of. So the oh. thing that I think is cool and that I actually love is Esther Povitsky. Oh, I, I love her. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. I love her. She's so fun. I, I, um, she, she has, well, she's a fellow podcaster, would really love to do a pod swap, but probably oh, she's so got cool. <laughs> she's got stuff to do. So we'll see if we catch her radar one day. Um, but I just saw her at the comedy store on Friday night and she was incredible. Okay. Um, really. I just uh, well, I loved her set because it resonates with me. I basically was like, yeah, I've had all those experiences too. Um, but she's great, and um, I love her TikToks. She's like probably one of the people that made me actually love TikTok. A final switch. Oh, great! Was yeah, was Esther. Now, oh, she's great. You have to watch her show Alone Together. Did I tell you about oh, this? I don't know, she, but she told she me about this- it on Friday. <laughs> Oh, oh, what did she have to say? Well, is it, is, is it, it the bad? one? No, no, no. <laughs> that she is did it with her friend one? Benji. No, it's an old one. She, this is like, oh, this is when I no, first found out about Esther. And I think I found, found her show. This came out like 2019. So right before the pandemic. Um, 
yeah, and I found this show. I guess it was like a like a freeform show that she did with her friend Benji. Um, and I believe they're both Jewish, and that plays like part of their like kind of like theme joke throughout the throughout the two seasons. Um, it's really funny. And if you like Esther, you would definitely like it because she wrote it. Her and Benji, I think, both wrote it. Um, and it has to do with like the kinds of friendship that like um like a guy and a girl who are fully platonic friends but they're both straight like uh it's really funny so uh i would definitely recommend watching that i think it's not on netflix or hulu or something like that anyways i'll check it out i really like her (laughs) um so the other what's hot that is i would say scaring me is platform uggs shorty boot platform uggs what is a platform ug like literally like the clocks no like you know the uggs that we all had in like senior year and they are like short ankle boots but instead of it just being like the inch thick like sole they're like two Mm. or three inches thick they're everywhere yeah platforms are definitely coming back every like in general platform everything sandals sneakers everything has like a really thick sole now Oh it makes God, sense. I mean, if everything else is kind of moving that way. I don't think it looks good. I'm just saying, I think it's coming to get us. And I think it might already be hot. <laughs> I think it's on the hot list already. Yeah, it might be. I'm curious. I'd have to look into how it's styled. Because like, when I look at it, it just looks like a regular Ugg with a thick sole. But does it just like add something weird to it? Weird vibe when you see it in person? Well, what I'm wondering is like with these wide leg pants and these Ugg boots, doesn't that make your like foot really accentuated in your outfit? But kind people of. are styling it. Yeah. They're like styling it with wide pants and like it's everywhere. Yeah, I mean, the so. shoes are always a staple or a statement of the outfit. I guess it's like the thing with trends is trying to figure out how to reinvent the wheel. Of like, okay, what did we do already that we can recycle and retrend? <laughs> <laughs> Make them fatter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For now. So, yeah. Do you have a what's hot this week? <sighs> I just realized I didn't write anything down. And I've been like thinking this whole time, like, what is my what's hot this week? Why didn't I think of anything? Um, I know what your what, what's hot this week is. It's definitely my hair and the meadow spray. Those two for sure. Yeah, we can just um, <laughs> we could put put that there. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, shoot, I definitely want to say something interesting though. Give me like twenty seconds <laughs> to think about it. <laughs> um. Okay, wait. I do have one that's kind of very specific. Um. And maybe it could have been a sunshine medicine, but since I didn't have a what's hot, this is going to be my what's hot. Okay. Get ready to get personal. My what's hot this week are THC and CBD suppositories. I'm talking about little thingies. You stick up your vagina. I was going to, I was going to make up a word. I was going to say like the JJ or something, but I'm almost 30 and I think I can say vagina on a podcast without somebody cringing yeah, or flinching anyway definitely yeah. allowed yeah yeah Two girl okay, podcast cool. i think it's encouraged actually cool yeah <laughs> um yeah <laughs> so 
If you've been following my pain journey, you know that I have been struggling with this like pain in my leg for six months or longer now. Um, and I came to find that it is uh, pelvic floor dysfunction. I don't know if I ever shared what it was, or at least like it, we don't know if this is like the cause, but we do know that it is a source of pain. Anyways, um, been taking uh, therapy for it, but it's kind of expensive to go to the hospital and have to pay for pelvic floor therapy all the time. So I was trying to think of alternative ways that I could help the muscle relax. Um, so I found these THC suppositories at my local dispensary and uh, I tried them out and they work really well. Um, my pain on a day-to-day basis is as long as I'm taking them, it's gone, which is really great. Um, it's not flaring up as frequently anymore. And um, yeah, so that's a really big wit for the health like situation. Um, so, but when I, when I was reading the I just box. I want to know, is it CBD or THC or both? Both. It's both. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but specifically, I was looking for one with THC since it ha- helps like activate the CBD effect. Um, so they do work in tandem. Um, and I can only get those out of dispensary versus going somewhere that like sells CBD. You know what I mean? So that's why I went to dispensary and, uh, I was reading the box and it says that they are good for menopause. Um, that's like specifically like what this brand had made them for. So I thought that was really interesting. So, um, that is nowhere in my soon future, but if you know somebody who's going through menopause or you are going through it yourself, um, recommend it to somebody you know because I think it could help them. If it helped me in my pain on my leg, I think it could help somebody uh wonders with it, you know, using what it's for. So that's my what's yeah, hot. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I I've tried like a CBD uh like oil that came with the Theragun and you I mm-hmm. just like put it on my my lower back. And it was like a topical gel that just eliminated pain yeah. and just two minutes. It was so good. So I can only imagine this was like way, way more effective and targeted. So that's so exciting. Right. It's so nice it's to have so some targeted. relief from pain. Yeah. Because I know that's been really bothering you and it's so hard to live with chronic pain. So I'm glad that you found another option. Yeah. Yeah. And it has like no psychoactive effect, so I can use it right before work. And uh, it's great. I, it just like completely calms my body down, relaxes the muscles and uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's my what's hot. <laughs> um, awesome. All right. Well, w- before we get into the episode, uh, let's go ahead and review our episode goals. Uh, I guess I'll yeah. go over those uh, since go you kind of did the intro. Uh, okay. So our episode this week, we are speaking with Stephanie, as we mentioned, from So Collective, and we are going to be learning all about what So is. Um, we are also going to be learning about how you can connect with your food, even if you live in a major city or uh, a city that it has a colder climate. Um, and then we are also going to be talking about urban farming and how you can help use urban farming to connect with your community. So without further ado, let's dive, dive into this episode. Here we go. <laughs> All right. Hi, guys. Welcome back. Today, we are welcoming Stephanie Gomez from the So Shift Our Ways Collective here in Los Angeles. The mission of So Collective is to grow sustainable communities through their community-made backyard farm and compost co-op. 
So envisions a future where sustainability is inclusive, accessible, and attractive. Stephanie helps run their community experiences and educates on the importance of connecting to the roots and origins of our food. Welcome, Stephanie. Hi. Yay. Oh, that was good. Okay. I didn't know if I like follow right after that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, we're here. We're recording and we're ready to dive in. Super excited to have you. Thank you. I mean, I was just, I felt so grateful that you reached out to me and you, you said, Hey, I really want to learn more about your story. And I think that's really where we start our community connections through asking others about their story and kind of seeing how we can connect and engage in that. But thank you for having me. And I, I just want to say you sounded so amazing right now. I was like, wow, this is so official. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, we try. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, a little bit um, about myself. I grew up in Los Angeles in a little spot called El Sereno, which is like right in between Alhambra and South Pasadena and Highland Park. So it's just like this little center of Northeast Los Angeles. And then I moved to the San Fernando Valley, where So Collective is now located in Arlita. And Arlita is another spot very similar to El Sereno, where you don't really hear about Arlita. You just hear like Van Nuys or the surrounding areas. So I think that's pretty just almost serendipitous that I would end up again in a space that like isn't always like known by everyone unless you tell them like, oh, this is where I'm at. I'm right off the five freeway. That's how I always like will describe where so is located. Um, but my story is also about food and how food has played such a big role in my life. Being Mexican American, I grew up in households with my grandparents. I was very fortunate to learn Spanish because of my grandparents. Um, both my parents are just native English speakers. My dad was born in Mexico, but he came here when he was 10 years old. So that kind of played a role. His generation was the generation that was told not to speak Spanish in class and things like that. So I feel very blessed that I grew up here with both sides of my grandparents. And that's how I learned about food. And that's how I also learned about sharing. Um, I remember that my grandma would always make food in abundance. So it was not just to feed our household, but she would also send us with a pot of food to go to our neighbor's home and said, hey, go share this with them. Go knock on their door and share it with them. And I thought, like, now I see it. Like, back then, I'd always, like, begrudgingly be like, I have to carry this huge, heavy pot over to them. But now I look back and I think, like, wow, that is such a beautiful thing that, you know, we no longer do, I want to say. Like, it's very rare when we do open ourselves up to share or host our community food and um, offerings. And and that might just be with like how busy we always are in a constant, um, you know, state that we got to go and we just got to grab our food and go. So definitely that connects me back to so and what I envisioned and what I hope that this space will remind our community about. And it's your your time with your food and the way you spend it is really just so much more valuable than sometimes we give it credit for. Um, but with that being said as well, a little bit about myself and my work, I graduated with a bachelor's in science and sociology, and I focused on human rights. And I remember that I was in this class, my human rights class, and our, our professor had mentioned that her dad had been working at Ralph's for over like 27 years. And she's like, and you know how much they pay each farmer for a tomato? 
and we're like, how much? And there, she was like five cents, like a nickel per like gallon of tomatoes for five cents. Wow. And, and I, and I think that's, that's where I was like, yeah, I remember just like taking it all in and we watched this video on like the farm workers and, you know, that's still a discussion today. The farm workers were just having their thousand, thousand mile walk, um, you know, from, right, I want to say like in the Fresno area, all the way up to Sacramento to go lobby. Um, but so it's still very much a conversation from when I was having that conversation in the classroom five years ago. So with so in mind as well, and what we wanted to represent was locally grown food, but respect for our farmers and respect for our land as well and the way that we cultivate it. Uh, I was reading this book before. Sorry if I'm like going all running no please please you're like already answering all of our questions like i'm like bam (laughs) got that one by the way we're getting this like boom i'm this is great this is fantastic yeah keep going keep going thank you i wanted to connect it to there's this book that i was reading called the urban farmer and in it 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 honestly felt like a book that i should have read in college as well but i didn't get that chance but i totally recommend it if like you want to connect with your food a little more and you kind of want to know the history of one urban farming and kind of where that term was coined as well. And how there's been areas like, especially like in New York, in Brooklyn, in the Bronx, like where this kind of like little revolution started with taking plots of empty land and turning them into sustainable food sources for city, you know, city life. Um, And so in that book, the part where it really impacted me was talking about how our fruits, vegetables, any of our produce just has been diminished in the nutrients that they have because of the way that we treat our soil. So not only is like our food coming from a very far, far away place, it's also not being grown the same way that it was, you know, hundreds of years ago or maintained on a land that's like respected. It's very much like how much vegetables can we produce in the same soil without any regard that you have to continue adding nutrients every time rather than just like um, taking so much from the land. There's this piece about like reciprocity. Or reciprocity, reciprocity. Yeah, reciprocity. Yeah, like giving back Mm -hmm. what you take. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you make some really good points already off the bat. I kind of want to like kick off from like some of the things that you've talked about and and try and like just like learn more about so and learn more about like kind of like how you started getting into this process because you have so much really amazing information. And I'm excited to like really get into the nitty gritty. But before we really get into there, um, let's step back a little bit and talk more about like how you got into sew, um, what you specifically do there, um, and like how food has been basically this like through line in your life. Because that's what it sounds like to me. And maybe you can, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like food has always been important into your life. And so this was just like a natural uh, place for you to land. Is that right? Is that not right? I'd love to like hear your take on that. Totally, totally. I would say that starting so, so right after graduating college, and I went to become a teacher in Rio Grande, Texas. So I was teaching US history to eighth graders. And that was the first time that I just I just noticed 
one, like there was so much land in Texas, but two, how underutilized it was. And also being part of, I was there during 2018, during uh, Hurricane Harvey. So also being there in this very big climate, like um, disaster, catastrophe, really. And recognizing that like I had to in myself take a step back as well for where I saw myself as a climate activist. So that's where I was while I was in Texas, really comparing it in a sense to California, you know, and just like our lands. Um, And then once I left teaching in the classroom, I left in 2020, like right before the pandemic. um, And I went to go work for a nonprofit that was planting trees in Los Angeles. So I really wanted to find my way. How did you move to Texas? Before we before we get there, how did you move to Texas? Like, where was that transition? Because you grew up in California. So what brought you to Texas to teach? Yes. Um, and then, like, what pulled you back? Um, was it the trees? Yes. <laughs> I moved to Texas because I became a teacher through Teach for America. So I got sent to Texas to go teach over there. And what pulled me back was the community part. I had been so involved in a lot over here in Los Angeles. I was part of the League of Women Voters Club. I was part of several other like organizations that I just felt like I had to come back to. And I also wanted to be part of my community where, you know, that's where I developed. And I knew the lack of resources that we had here in our space. So it just felt like the right thing to do was to move back and use like my experience as a teacher and bring that back here. So when I came back, I I came back because I was looking for a bunch of different um, opportunities that were in the environmental space. And, you know, I thought about tree people. I thought about, I'm like trying to name, like I thought about working for Patagonia for just like a bunch of like environmental impact service-based corporations, organizations. And I ended up falling with one that was in Inglewood in South LA that was based and primarily like contracting. They were like part of Tree People, but not quite. So I was like, okay, this is like a good place to put my foot in the door and learn about what it takes to plant a tree in an urban environment. And that's like a whole nother thing. Like it takes so much to just plant one tree in an urban space. All the permits that you need. Like LA is not known for yes. trees, so, so that's quite a surprise. Where did you guys mainly work? I know you're situated in Inglewood, but where is the tree planting? So the tree planting would happen like on La Cienega. It would happen on, uh, I want to say we were primarily in Mayor Sharif's district. So a lot in Compton um, by like that area uh so definitely deeper in south la but i learned very early on that it was very one like the bureaucratic like element of planting a tree and just like all this red tape that you have to plant trees really made it one of the most challenging like jobs in a sense like even you know teaching is very challenging but then you also have like how do we manage land space? Another very challenging topic, um, just because there's so many uh, rules and regulations and it has to go through a bunch of yeses or nos before you even are able to break ground to put in your first tree. 
So a tree, for example, one tree can take up to like three to five months to be, to be planted. Before it's even planted. Wow. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. They, um, I'm from Canada and they have huge tree planting initiatives and I know it's a ton of work, but I think for them, it's mainly the labor and getting people up North to plant the trees and reforest. But this sounds like a completely different operation, (laughs) mostly in the office. Hey, yeah, exactly. Like that we would think the hardest part is finding that labor, but nope, the hardest part is getting a yes and uh, a go ahead from our city officials and just overall like urban planning officials. Do you know why people are so, um, you know, cause so many barricades legally and planning wise? A few of the things that I encountered were, it was definitely because of power lines and water. It was always water and power lines. Like, oh, if we plant a new tree, then it's going to take this much water. And it's just always this constant battle for water for the now. But in reality, if you plant those trees now and they need an abundance of water in the beginning, maybe like the first two, three years when they really need to adapt. But after that, they're you're getting paid 10 times, 100 times full because what it brings back is shade. So you don't need to use as much water, uh, you know, for AC and cooling, which is the urban heat island effect that we see so prevalent in Los Angeles. Yeah, I was going to say, LA, I'm sure has like a very unique problem when it comes to tree planting versus like uh, when I lived in Portland. Um it, it was very different because uh, the regulations, there were definitely certain things. Um, sorry, for context, I lived in Portland for five years. Um, nice. I, I had met a couple of people who were part of a very similar problem or, or initiative, but they didn't have the same problem as far as like uh, regulations. Um, mm-hmm. But they were similar problems, but different. <laughs> so it's similar regulation issues, but different in the way that they formed out. So um it, I imagine that LA is has very unique restrictions that you probably don't see in other cities or other states. Um, do those restrictions totally. play a part in in so as well? Do you guys find yourselves being restricted in certain ways? That's such a great question. I, I I'd love to get into that as well because that is the food desert element that shift our ways is really trying to advocate for and be a voice for because. We're in LA, which is a very affluent city in many ways, right? And and then of course it has the issues and not having enough trees, you know, all these other things that we go into. But the food desert is one that really kind of strikes me, um, considering that one, I'll just give like a really general fact about our parks and recreation. So like your park that you go to to walk your dog or anything, we have seventy thousand, like seventy thousand feet of parks that are just like grass and watered every day like seventy thousand, like that's insane just plain grass nothing just else. plain grass nothing yeah. else and and that's already an example of an underutilized space and that connects us back to like why we're using so as a green space but a green space with a purpose because i love parks i want to have all the parks but can we make our parks in a way that can be a sustainable place, a place that, Speaking you know, water are, mm-hmm. isn't plain grass, like the worst offender, worst offender of using too much water. Yes. Just plain regular oh. grass. 
a hundred percent because grass doesn't even retain the water itself. It lets water run off and things of that nature. It doesn't create a biodiverse place where you can have fertile soil. It, it just, it's almost just like a blanket on top of dirt that is just there. It's a tricky problem um, the city has gotten themselves into. All for the name of as, uh, this aesthetic what value that we place on grass like it's it's almost more expensive than it's worth right like you pay all this money to have the most beautiful grass and it doesn't give back to you i've seen people redo their lawns with clovers because clovers are uh they grow faster they're easier to Mm -hmm. water they take less water and they're bright green so maybe we can convince the city in some direction put clovers in the ground Oh, for sure. I think that's why urban farms, backyard farms, micro farms have become such a big, you know, deal. I've seen it a lot in Los Angeles now and it makes me it makes my heart very warm because people will come and it'll feel like a little park. There's benches. We have benches at so like where you can just come and relax. But if you wanna go and harvest your own fruits and vegetables, please do. And it's just like this interaction with the land that we don't really get at parks you know like maybe there's like a flower bed a patch of flowers but there's like never really you know anything where like that's pretty meditative you know sometimes it's just like grass and maybe a playground but in the summer it's too hot to play on that playground or things like that like how are we cooling down these spaces as well yeah Um, so it's an interesting point you make about how like these spaces are actually meditative. Um, I don't know the name of the person, but apparently there's a book out there where they talk about gardening being the lost art that's causing a lot of mental health disorders, like our mm-hmm. sort of divergence from the land and from like getting our own food sources and being connected to where things come from. I don't know. Would you agree? Totally. I think that one we notice that we had the time right during the pandemic like okay now we have the time to learn something new so more people were jumping on to like if i can only be in my space my personal space i'm going to beautify it and i love that what came out of this was i'm going to grow my own vegetables i'm going to do that like just this like we have this intuition and it's intuitive gardening and and it's it's already ingrained in us which i love that it was being showcased throughout the pandemic and i really hope that we continue to use this momentum to one, learn, but two, also be okay with like, sometimes you're not going to grow your vegetables all perfect, like imperfect vegetables, like the company Imperfect Food exists for a reason because it's okay if your vegetables don't look like the one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's got the nutrients you need. Yeah. So definitely changing that narrative. I'm curious, are you a founder of So? I don't know if we established this. Yes, I am one of the founders of So. There are four of us. uh, And I was the one that found the space and I pitched it to my coworker at the tree company that we worked for. And she actually hired me at that company. And we decided to, yeah, we decided to quit together and start So. It was a. I love that. Was, That's full circle. It really, it really felt that way, and it felt like it was like the right time because I remember 
this lot because I grew up in Arlita and the lot is like right on the side of my parents' home. So I always would pass by it. I would always see that it was one empty, but two, it was being used as like a toxic waste dump. And my dad would always go and put signs that said like no dumping. And then when people would graffiti, he would go and pretty much paint the wall. So in some senses, like I saw my dad tend to it. Like, yeah, we, nothing was grown there. It was just weeds. But like the fact that he wanted to maintain like this clean space, like I noticed that and I recognized like this space could be used for so much more. And I remember oh, telling I Haley. <laughs> yeah. And I remember telling Haley and being so nervous, like, oh my God, I'm going to get fired if I tell her I'm trying to like start a nonprofit. Like, but no, she was all gung ho. So Haley's background, she's. She actually went to UCLA, got her degree in biology for undergrad, and then she just recently graduated from USC with her master's in urban planning. And so it's it's really full circle that she, like this was something that she wanted to do was utilize empty spaces and create more green spaces for sustainability. So she always had that in her heart as well. You guys are a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. <laughs> um, I, I hear a lot of like this idea of like dead space or dead land. And I'm just curious to know, I know we're kind of jumping between like getting to know you and getting to know a so collective, but I'm wondering um, like, how does one even conceptualize where to begin with what to grow in essentially dead unused land that may not be conducive to growing anything um, like where do you start? What kind of considerations, planning, plants and things do you need to get in there to make the land usable? Oh, love it. Yes. This is this is a question that I feel like sometimes we just sit and we're like, oh man, we really started from scratch and it was from scratch because everything was just weeds as mentioned, just dirt, like the dirt that is so compacted that it feels like cement. And so when we started building ground, I'll say, we realized that we had to, one, give back to the land because we were like, how do we cultivate nutritious soil? That's the first step. And two, we had to test the soil that we were on. In urban spaces, lead is prevalent and at a very high concentration. So we wanted to make sure that we were within like this reasonable, um, where you could still build on it and grow food that is edible. So that was our first step is doing a soil sample, which is amazing because Maddie actually was also a biologist and she focused on water quality. So Maddie's from Minnesota and she grew up around, well, it's known for what the 10,000 lakes. So she grew around lakes that were heavily polluted. So that's where Maddie's love for sustainability came. And we made sure that we were mindful of where we were growing. Um, and her background is also her family was on a farm. So she grew up on a farm. And I think that's a really sweet touch to the story and what, what makes so, so. Um, but in that regards, we ended up, it took us almost three months to decide on what type of manure we wanted. Like, do we want chicken manure? Do we want horse manure? Do we want cow manure? And it was just, it felt like such an incredible debate. Like, this is the most important thing we will do, like, if we don't get this soil. So even though we started in March and we got our name and create all that stuff, we didn't really start um, on the land itself until I want to say like May or June. 
when we finally found like a source for cow manure and chicken manure. Another background on this is we focus on sustainability. So we didn't want to buy anything and we didn't want anything plastic packaged or things like that. So we would lug the manure in the back of a truck, in our cars. Like we were really just, I felt like so grassroots and we were like going up to over here. It's called the uh, Lopez Canyon, which is a landfill, but they also have like compost soil amendment. And so we were going and just like chucking all of that into our cars and then going to do the layering effect. So when we came into like what we wanted, we wanted to practice regenerative agriculture, which means you're not tilling the land so that you you, create. Yeah. I think a lot of us are going to be like, whoa, (laughs) new new terminology. (laughs) (laughs) So what exactly is maybe tilling and then you can tell us a bit more about that. (laughs) Yeah. So tilling is when you are shaking out all of the living part of soil. And because you're disrupting it and you're rotating it, you're basically creating all this dust, but opening up a bunch of pockets, which is letting out carbon and methane and all of these other uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Whereas the opposite is a no-till farm where you're building on it. You're not rotating it or shaking it up. You're building on it to increase the nutrients. You're increasing the hold the retention of water like every layer in effect that that's pretty much what that no is till so is. fascinating i would have never thought that tilling would be bad for land especially because that's like a, a standard practice i think um that's really fascinating yeah and it, it, um, it is a standard practice so that's something to talk yeah. about also right yeah i mean there's there's a lot of standard practices when it comes to farming that are unsustainable um, I mean, you've already touched on it a little bit with, you know, what you guys are doing at So, um, but you define it as like a backyard farm, first of all, like what came to, like, what brought you to that term and what do you do in a backyard farm that is different than like a standard, you know, run of the mill farm? Awesome. Definitely. So what we do differently in a backyard farm and why we termed it the backyard farm is because it's in such a residential area. And usually when you think about farms, you think about like this big open space, like where it's like just free range and animals and horses can run everywhere. But a backyard farm or a micro farm is like, our space is 5,000 square feet. There are some micro farms that are like 1,000 square feet, could be 300 feet. But what makes a farm a farm is one, the way that you practice and build your soil, two, the way that you give back to your soil. So for example, we do composting on site. We're also a compost hub. So we will take our compost and put it back into the soil. So it's all very circular. And then two is how much uh, you yield in food. What makes a farm a farm is actually just like the monetary uh, value of it. So if you're selling your food or produce or not. And we don't sell our food or produce, but we do yield a volume to give out and to distribute. So a farm is like termed based on like whether or not it's producing food for others. And so that's, that's and, amazing. And yeah. Um, but I, I was like going back and forth a lot about like micro farms because micro farms still sound really cool, but I termed backyard farm because one, it's in the backyard, but also think about like, 
wouldn't it be cool if you had your own backyard farm? And I, and I wanted people to resonate with that. Like you could have this too. More yeah. Relatable. Oh, it does resonate. Yeah. yeah, it does. It it brings that kind of like, Ooh, like if it's in, in a backyard, like I have a backyard, like why couldn't mm-hmm. I have something like that? That's definitely what it invokes. Um, that's really cool. Um, wait, I just had a question and I lost it. Sorry, Ashley, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm still sitting here being like, okay, so then you put the layers on top and the manure and then what? (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Yes. Let's go back to what we did. So in order to not have as many weeds as there was now, uh, because we have Bermuda grass and Bermuda grass can grow up to like 12 feet. It's freaking crazy. And it'll suck up all your water. So you got to like fight it. Um, And so it's a constant battle, but it's working out. We did the cardboard layering effect. So again, with the cardboard, oh, I'll describe what the cardboard layering effect is. So one, we had to just go dumpster diving for a bunch of cardboard. Yes, maybe we could have sourced it differently. But at that time, it just seemed like the right way to go. So there I was jumping into the back of a dollar tree like or dollar king getting out some cardboard from them and then once we bring it back to the farm you have to take off all the plastic you don't want any of that plastic leaching into your soil so taking that off and you also don't use any cardboard that has like something printed on printed on it already like a or like the the food safe film right yeah yeah you got it that one unacceptable it has to be like a brown one we also like reached out to trader joe's like we were just trying every grocery store like do you guys have extra cardboard can we go get some so that's the first I mean, that's one. great because recycling is also an issue like m- most of things that end up in a recycling plant don't end up actually recycled so you're kind of like taking some of their workload off of them to ensure that mo- more does get recycled and reused Thank you. You know what? Just because you mentioned that, we were talking about like our metrics earlier today with one of my teammates. And we were talking about like, you know, there are so many things that we haven't accounted for. And I would say just mulching in general, like how much water that retains on your land itself. So we could do a whole nother thing on that, like figuring that out. So that was one part. It's getting all the cardboard across 5,000 square feet and just... Oh, and then having to battle the wind because you would put it down and the next day you're like, where did all my cardboard go? Like, if you do not do it, like, on the second, like, it's gone and you're gonna have to restart. So it was like... Not to mention your mulch without the cardboard might blow away also if there's been no rain. (laughs) Exactly. And we did it during May. So that was like peak season for the heat. And it was also the time like when it was those really, really large fires that we had, you know, we've had a few right now, but the ones in 2020, I don't know, the world was just ending that year for sure. Um, so we still proved resilient. We were out there with our mask and making sure that we were mulching. So the first layer is the cardboard. Then the second layer is your mulch and you want to get about two inches. We were like going three inches just for like safety and like thickness and to make sure that the compost and then you have to water it to make sure that it's just like one, it can't be raised by the wind. You just want to add that extra volume of weight. And then after that, then you put the manure. So then you put the manure and then on top of the manure, then you put the soil. So another thing about our soil, we didn't buy bags of soil. We actually sourced it from a home in Sun Valley and we were lugging it into our truck as well. And shout out to Michael, who 
he had like an ad on OfferUp. We were going on OfferUp, Craigslist, like just looking for one where we could get some cow manure. We're like, what great farmer around here, you know, it's going to give us some. And so we found, we ended up finding some place, I think in like Lancaster and we had to go like to Lancaster to get that. And then the soil, which was really sweet. This background behind um, Michael, just a little story time was that Michael was starting to renovate his home. So he was taking out the grass, which was really cool. Just taking out the grass to put like pebbles and more native flowers and things like that. So that was awesome. And then two, that soil was just like the soil of when they first moved into that home with his children. So we kept finding little toy soldiers in like seashells and like everything that had been hidden in there over <laughs> That's time. That's got to be good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly feel like if you could have seen like it still grows so beautiful, but that first year, like it was just, it felt like it was just like our kid, our baby, like just watching it like go from just nothing to having all this veggies and lush green space. Um, but that was So really how did sweet. you learn about all of this? You have like, you've clearly done a lot of research or I don't know, maybe is it firsthand experience? Um, I know that you had, you know, other people on your team that were contributing other, you know, parts of it from their education, but it seems like you guys had a lot to think about more than just how do we plant food? Like going into the the process of it, the soil, the watering, everything, knowing exactly what you were going to plant. Like you, you don't, come with that knowledge already ingrained in you like where did you learn it from definitely it was all shared learning and we found a mentor or our mentor found us very early on i would say as well and within and within the urban farming community like everyone is a teacher and it, and it has been such a like welcoming and open space but what i would say is like when we learned about like sheet mulching on the spot it was research it was like how can we do this best how can we do this and represent sustainable communities because what makes us sustainable and like having to really be so intentional like I mentioned taking three months to think about what manure you're going to use like holy cow like I, I couldn't even imagine just talking about it so many times in different ways like is it sustainable for us to drive all the way to Lancaster well driving to Lancaster versus buying like plastic manure you know it was just like a whole like battle with ourselves and like a learning experience. But one of our mentors, his name is Steve List, and he has been a an agriculture teacher at Somar High School for the past 25 years. So he teaches his students about farming, growing their own vegetables. And we ran into him while we were shoveling compost into our cars. And he comes up to us because we're just there like we don't we're like, we don't know what we're doing, but we're doing it. And so we're over there shoveling compost. And he's like, you know, if you needed like a bigger load, you could just call me. But the first way he introduces himself is by saying, do you like my caca? And caca in Spanish. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Caca yeah, in Spanish great. is poop. <laughs> and so he just made us laugh and we were telling him what we were doing. And he was like, oh, awesome. Do you guys want garden beds? And, I, and we were like, sure. And mind you, this is like, pandemic like the week right after the world shut down so we're all wearing our mask and he's like yeah we could drop it off you could just come pick it up at the school because at that time he you know school had closed down for him and I just know that he like needed to connect and needed to like still be a teacher and so I'm, I'm really just grateful that he has been our teacher for the past teacher and our friend for the past two years in all of this and, and he'll come that's very serendipitous yeah that's right? incredible. Yeah. 
we thought about naming the backyard farm serendipitous because of that, but then we were like, nah, but. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I like that. so. They're both cute. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so that was kind of, and it's still such a learning experience. Yeah. Maddie comes with farming. She used to also uh, grow, what is it? Marijuana in Colorado on a 15 acre land. So she comes, you know, really knowing just how to cultivate very healthy plants. And that's amazing. But then um, I grew up and watched my grandpa always go out and buy plants and then come back. He would buy plants on Facebook Marketplace and come back with like a new uh, avocado tree. He's like, look what I brought. So I definitely grew around the green thumb and the gardening aspect of it. So just like bringing it all together and being open to learn. Because I think in this space, one, it's all such an experiment and I feel like a scientist every day and, and my background is not just like fully science, but as I'm in this space, like I learned to be a little bit more curious and I learned to ask more questions and to not feel bad when, you know, some of our plants don't grow just to know like, oh, we might need more water. We might need. And I think for me, it's more intuitive gardening and reading a lot of gardening books, but also working in the compost space. Compost goes back to the soil health. So I, I think just surrounding yourself by all aspects of what makes gardening, growing, farming, what it is. And on top of that, you guys are also a nonprofit. Um, what is your experience running a nonprofit? Because I've worked in them myself before, and it's quite a lot of work alone, just keeping it op- in operation. Um, so on top of that, you're having to do manual labor. What is that like? Um, are you getting volunteers? Are you getting funds? Um, what is the support like for you? Yeah. So yes, you wear so many hats when you're in the nonprofit world. And my experience in the nonprofit world was while I was starting. So I was working for another job full time as well. And I was their coordinator. So I was helping run programs in our space. It's so we kind of divided it up where it was like three of us. So we started with four and then in one year, like in our, in our next year, last year, it was just three of us. And then we, we had a lot of volunteers and then we had volunteers who wanted to be more, you know? And so they kind of joined our more internal team where they've helped us with planning events, where they've helped us keep track of our compost metrics and, we all are volunteer based. None of us would so get paid. We are looking for a board. We would love to just welcome advisors and board members who have the experience in it, all diverse like backgrounds. There's no one industry, I think, that makes you a farmer. You could be in any industry and really bring something um, to this space. Uh, we are fully operating like the way that we pay for our rent and for our admin, like our website and like, let's say like all of our supplies and soil, we get a lot of in-kind donations. We do host events and those events are usually like donation based. So that kind of helps. Uh, then we have our GoFundMe, we have Patreon. So we have some Patreons and that's a really, that's been really special because we also give back every month to them and like, we'll send them a gift or like we'll plant something in their like name. And then we also have our farm stand, which is called at shop shifted. And it's our refillable bulk buy station. So these are kind of a couple of ways that we've been able to be sustainable and generate our own money. 
um, within. So although we do qualify for some grants, we haven't received any grants yet because of our, in a sense, revenue, like how much you make, we are making under or like, we're just too new is what we've gotten a lot of. It's like they need to see more financial backing. So fingers crossed that like by 2023, you know, we get our first grant and we can hire full-time, part-time employees. We do have an internship program that our interns get paid through a program called Hire for Youth LA. And so that's actually starting in mid-October. So they reached out to us and it's their pilot program to get more of our next generation into farming, which is so exciting that they thought of us and we're that's like... amazing. So... I have goosebumps for you. That's very exciting. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, this is like this. This is a big beginning for you guys. And to have done all of this during the pandemic is (laughs) you should be really proud. Impressive. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, But we just hope Um, we can open opportunities. Yeah, I would love to um, kind of shift the conversation a little bit just for time. and talk a little bit about like sustainability and climate change, because that's, you know, popped up in our conversation a couple of times. And it seems like a pretty big mission, not only for so, but for you uh, yourself. Um, what is, you know, kind of that mission in mind for you uh, for fighting climate change? Definitely. It's always about how to use one, our platform to be more vocal about what changes need to be had on a personal level. When we thought of shift our ways, like our name is like a direct reflection of like the small habits that we create daily. And then they are small shifts and they are these small shifts that add up and if they create this layering effect. And I really stand by that wholeheartedly that you don't have to do everything all at once. And that for us to be able to combat climate change or even just to almost create this balance within what we're doing on earth as like just humans and the work that we do and just how we also give back to the earth, I think is a very important. And that's where I kind of want to stand. Like as much as we take, as much as like we love going out to travel and as much as we love to, you know, try new places and that's all beautiful. Like we should be able to one, not feel guilty about that, but two, how are we in our daily lives, you know, making an impact uh, in our food systems? For one, I think food systems play a major role. It's that food desert. It's that lack of water. It's the not having enough carbon sequestration happening in our parameters. But yet we're able to water 70,000 square feet of, you know, unused and unused land. Golf courses. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's and it's still. Yeah. And it still goes back to like, these places can still exist and still have purpose. Like we can still have parks. And if you do have grass, change the grass, make it blue-eyed grass, make it, you know, any the clovers, as you mentioned, make it a more biodiverse like community, not just for ourselves, but for the living creatures that provide us with our, you know, our pollinators that provide us with our actual food and vegetables. So I do feel like I play a role in that sense, like a, a small role in where I, I get to have the privilege of talking about pollination and talking about food in a local setting. And I, and I really want to advocate for that because I think it gives us so much power in what we are able to accomplish on our own. And this took four of us to start, but 
now it's this space that like we're always constantly having rotating volunteers and i'm so grateful because those volunteers turn into your friends and those volunteers turn into people who go and make other sows in other places and and it really starts there so if i hope to achieve anything it's just to create a space where people feel comfortable starting their own backyard farms and also to know where they can find the resources for that because it can be it can feel very unachievable if you don't know where to get the soil or if your soil is not good enough or things like that and and it's just this the what is it the thief of all joy is comparison so just knowing wherever you start yeah. it's a start absolutely i um before we keep going on that i am really curious specifically on how you guys um deal with drought and and water shortages because i know that's something that everyone in Los Angeles is aware of um, and has been going on for a very long time. So with climate change in mind, how does that affect you guys and how would that affect others who are trying to start their own backyard farms in Los Angeles, maybe specifically right now? Well, this was such a conversation for us because we knew, one, that this year was not going to be a year where we were going to be planting vegetables or produce that required a lot of water. So we had to be mindful of that too. We also input a new drip irrigation so that it was more efficient and so that it it actually, like the volume and the area of our beds was better watered, but with less water because of the way that we spaced everything out. So we put that in mind. We changed that out, invested some money into new drip irrigation. We also brought in more native plants because native plants really retain water. Um, and also attract more pollinators. So that would even help us for whatever plants we were going to be uh, planting. So for example, like squash is a great example of a plant that really requires those pollinators to with the flowers, with the squash flowers. So we were, one, a little sad that was like we weren't going to be growing an abundance of tomatoes this year because tomatoes take so much water to utilize and to grow. So growing less of those and growing more like peppers, for example, and also using every inch of our space. It was like no space was left empty. So we can really maximize on space, but also on the water that we were already getting. We did change out how much we were watering. So we changed the timers. Usually it'd be like 30 minutes um, daily, but we changed it to 15 minutes. So in total, 30 minute uh, spritz. And things like that. And then we have Oyas. So these Oyas are a clay, like adobe clay uh, pot. And we dug them into the ground because they retain water and they also water our native plants. So just like reducing any hand watering whatsoever was our main goal. Do you see these sustainable practices uh, becoming mainstream to major farmers? Or do you think that we still have a very long way to go? Is I guess like my question is, is our path to create more places like so, or is it to get our mainstream farmers in line with these practices? Ooh, this is a conversation that I always, one, look forward to having, but two, also I think about it like on the need of like, what is our true need and figuring that out as well. Like how much food do we really need to be producing to make sure that food insecurity doesn't exist. But then I think food insecurity already exists. So we're already 
needing to change the system regardless and changing kind of like the practices on the way that we handle one imperfect foods or the way that we handle our supermarket food waste and the way that we distribute those resources as well. So I would say that we should start off with the way our farming practices are now, just because there is, I don't know if you guys saw, but recently they just passed a bill where they are going to be providing farmers more money. Um, and that's in California. So, you know, taking that money to either one, we're doing like something like in hydroponics or two, changing the irrigation system and the way we grow our food or our shading structures. Because what if it's, so the way that we also retain water and save water is by adding mulch to our beds. Mulch retains moisture. So if we could do something like that on these, on these huge lands and just put mulch on top of like the food that's already growing, like especially like those citrus fruits that we get so abundantly in California, all of our delicious, juicy oranges, and you just start putting mulch, like that's a small way to you know, retain some water in that space. And it's, it's, and it's those practices that we've kind of lost because we want to do everything fast. And it does take an extra step and some extra time to add that mulch. But if it was a requirement so that we could save water, you know, why not? Like, why not try it at least and see what the impact is in a year and see how much water you save. Like, I think giving everything a shot is worth it. It is all experimental and, and we all are just learning. So there's no one way to do something correctly, but there are ways to replenish the land in a way that will reduce our environmental impact in the long run. I'm wondering if you can touch a little bit on how somebody in like a, I know we're in a major city, but you know, even cities like New York or Chicago, like places that have, you know, much more frigid climates, um, much less, you know, access to open lands. Like what would you suggest people in like those other major cities do? Um, you know, should they be planting food in their apartments? Um, what, what kind of steps can they take? Awesome. For apartment uh, planting, it's definitely container planting all the way. Uh, and having those, you can also do hydroponics in a home because you do have electricity accessible to you. And you can start growing your own greens or you want to choose like perennial uh, plants. So those are the ones that are going to grow all year round and will give you an abundance. Like, for example, kale, chard, like those, those are the gift that keep on giving. Like we've had out a couple of our kale plants for two years and always lush green kale, delicious or our chard we had for two years. So there are some of these plants that they can also start with, like are considered starter plants would be easy. Even spinach would be. So I would definitely suggest the container planting route for those temperatures and or a hydroponics. And also just like starting with like your own, I guess it's like, what is your goal, right? Is your goal so that you save more money at the grocery store? Is your goal so that you can just have more green space? And really evaluate that. That nice. just reminds me of um, like Katie's question about growing things in, in cold climates. I used to live in Winnipeg, Canada, it's central. It's above uh, Minnesota, I guess. 
And uh, I ran into this guy who was really creative. He was an engineer and he was creating greenhouses on the top of apartment buildings so that he could use like the heating off uh, runoff to heat the greenhouses and grow plants on apartment rooftops. And I was just like, isn't that so clever? So um, yeah, I wonder if like maybe creative people or engineers in the space would be a good pairing for people like yourselves um, where there's unique challenges with inner city growing. I don't know if you guys have ever been able to speak with people like that. Definitely. I think that is such an ingenious way to one, maximize your space, but two, also to just like to take something or take something that's like nothing and then turn it into like just cultivating like a space for fruition, which I think is so beautiful. But yes, to answer the question, we need some more engineers who want to hop on board the train of creating a more sustainable food system. That's where it's at. It's That's the example of hydroponics, right? Some engineers who thought like, ooh, we can use this and create more in abundance in a smaller space, in a tighter space. So we're constantly trying to craft like, how we're going to use up all of our space, every corner. Like, are we trellising it here? We use the beams because we have like a little stage and we'll use the beams for our plants to grow up. And we just always try to find resourceful ways of saving energy and also like giving back to growing our plants and providing like shade spaces. So I'm excited to invite some engineers into the space and see what, you know, they come up with. You hear to hear first listeners, grab your engineers and send them our way. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would like to wrap up with a Q&A. Uh, Ashley and I have just some like remaining questions that we wrote down that are either related that we didn't get to ask earlier or just like unrelated and we're curious about. Um, so I know Ashley, I've been asking a lot of questions. I'll let you take the first half if you want to. Yeah. So I have, I have two questions that may be controversial. Um, First question is, what are your thoughts on the, I think it's 100 mile diet. And is that feasible with these sorts of initiatives? Hmm, I, that's honestly going to be a topic where I haven't really discussed the 100 mile diet too much. I, I always like think about even more local than that. I think it just from understanding it right now, I would say that it is possible. It is possible to have a 100 mile diet. For sure. I would say that there are so many resources in Los Angeles itself, like I'm just talking in within our city, where we could have some, what is it? We can definitely find places that one, they're already cultivating or it's called, um, have you guys heard of like when you pick fruits from a tree, but it's called, I'm blanking out. I'll come back to think about it. Oh, gleaming. So there's a gleaming community. So glee, gleaming or gleaning uh, is when you go and you pretty much glean all the fruit off of the trees. And there are companies or nonprofits also that do that. And they'll go to neighbors' homes and like glean the trees for them so that there's no food waste there. Because, you know, sometimes there's just such an oh, abundance yeah, of fruit. Yeah, yeah. They just end up on the ground. Yeah. 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 So if we think about like that mentality, that could definitely be where it takes us into like being able to even just live off of all of the excessive amounts of fruits that fall off 
our neighborhood trees. And uh, Food Forward is one of those really big companies that does that. And they will give to all of the food banks around Los Angeles. So there is not, in a sense, like, there's not a sense in like this food insecurity, whereas it's more of a food inequity because there are people who don't know about these resources. And why is that? Because of like a lack of education or is it not the information is not being distributed equally or evenly? Like, so that's kind of more of where it's at. It's like this need to have more equitable conversations on us harvesting and harnessing like our own power for our food in a sense. So I would say yes. Yeah, you're totally right. We we dropped a episode, our second episode ever was about food deserts in Los Angeles because Ashley and I had like read all about it. We were so curious. Um and it's it's absolutely wild. You're you're hundred percent right. It's an equity issue. Um but for our listeners who want to learn a little bit more about what food deserts are, uh, go back to listen to the second episode. Um dropping that in there. <laughs> Yes. Um, Ashley, I'll let you finish asking your controversial questions. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I definitely agree with the, the inequity. Um, I work out in San Bernardino, so I, I think a lot of families feel that they don't have information or access to sustainable food sources. It's definitely a conversation about people's wellness and health out there. Um. So my other question, which was maybe controversial and might not really pertain, but I'm just wondering your, what your thoughts on Monsanto are and if that affects you as a small grower. <laughs> oh, my thoughts on that. I remember learning about Monsanto as well in that human rights class and just thinking like, no freaking way. Like, can we escape this or not? Um, and it was this whole conversation about GMO, which we had a lot of these conversations on what we wanted to represent in so. By saying that everything was organic, were we already making things inaccessible? You know, because when you speak about sustainability, organic, like those are words in a sense that are foreign to many, and especially in our like place that's more minority centered or working class centered. Like there are just things that it's like we will get what we need to survive. And like all of this, these words are almost very like uh, an extra luxury. Or that's the way that we have started selling, right? Organic, green, like when you think about greenwashing. So I would definitely say that um, in, this, in the respect to this, it's, it's all about how our narrative is. Like, are we being accessible? And I think Monsanto, like, the, I don't think that story is highlighted as like so dangerous as it is, you know, in the way that they have pesticides on our food. And, and I just don't think our community knows how unsafe it is or like and maybe it's just like a survival thing like even if they did know that it was not safe they're like we it's just not a luxury that we can even make this decision so creating an equitable space for us meant that we needed to have like the most the quality of food cuz it could affect us even like if you go to like Home Depot or Lowe's and you buy their starters, they're known to have the pesticides already in it, in the actual seed itself. So it's already grown like that. And, and it doesn't even disclaim that on any of the packaging. So. Right. Well, I guess the, the genetic makeup is different. So it's, it's, uh, resistant to pest or, um, yes, it's not 
Yeah, it's resistant to pesticides. Yeah. Yes. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So more that I, I guess it could take over anyone who's trying to grow without those seeds. Exactly. So it it does affect us in the sense like, well, one, we don't buy from, you know, like our plants, we don't buy from uh, Home Depot or Lowe's. We'll get them at like local nurseries or we plant straight by seed and, and then our seeds are organic and um, non-GMO. But it's just this discussion of like, for example, there was this known flower. I don't know the exact brand, but the flowers themselves were treated with uh, a sort of pesticide to keep the pest away, obviously, but also it wasn't be disclosed on the packaging. And then it actually ends up harming once the flower grows like to maturity, it ends up harming the pollinators and killing them. So it's almost like, oh, so now you have a, poll- yeah. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. So now you have a pollinator plant that's supposed to serve as a pollinator plant, killing the pollinators because just of that one decision that it needed to be the most beautiful growing plant. And it's like flowers, plants are resilient and they need to be paired and you need to have companion planting so that you can have more resilient, you know, vegetables and produce. Yeah. Yeah. No, you make a really good point. I (laughs) (laughs) know way more than me (laughs) about what I learned in grade 12 biology (laughs) about that. Um. Stephanie, I'm wondering if you could share, um, you, you gave us a book at the very beginning of the episode, but I'm wondering if you can share any like reading, um, maybe like uh, YouTube videos or documentaries that people could watch to get more interested in the topic of um, just sustainable farming in general. Ooh, yes. I would love to share some resources on that. So one of the movies that we watched as a team was called The Biggest Little Farm. And the biggest little farm is located, I want to say, in the Santa Monica Mountains, like in between like Malibu. Um, but that movie just touched our soul. Like it, it talks about like the resilience of one, farming, but two, also of how to just let your growing space be its own space. Like you can't stress so much about everything all the time because you can't control it. Like you need to create a resi- you need to one just have healthy soil too so that that is what is encouraging your plants to be resilient and and it just talks about like all the ecosystems like from having ducks to eat the snails from having you know like the ladybugs to eat the aphids and i would definitely suggest this movie um for people is that the one where they have like dogs to keep the chickens safe it's like a couple yes and yeah okay cuz that I that is the movie I watched and I fell in love with the idea of reclaiming dead space and dead land. And so that's why I was asking you so many questions about your layers and how did you bring it to life? Because I know that from watching that movie, it was so uh, complicated and it was such a layer a, a labor of love. Yes. And um, it wasn't just that straightforward. They had to select like different plants that would retain the water. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I definitely advocate for that movie. Yes. That's cool. Okay, keep Ooh, going. Sorry. <laughs> you do. Um, and then another movie that I would say is, hmm, is it a, should I say another movie about farms? Oh, no. Okay, I have a better one. Dang it. I want to just like send the link. So I was on YouTube and this inspired me. I watched this movie before I actually started. So like, I want to say I watched this movie in December. 
I started like planning out so in January, didn't actually get the team together till March. So this movie, oh, it's on YouTube. But okay, the the plot of this movie, because I could probably send it like after to you guys so you guys can share it with everyone. Yeah, we'll put it in the links for sure. So this movie focused on food waste. And so a couple, they recorded their experience going dumpster diving for like, I want to say a whole year. They didn't buy any food. They just ate what they could get from the dumpsters. and the impact and the amount of one food waste that they reclaimed, but two, just showcasing the fact that one, they had to do this in secret in the middle of the night to get some food. Um, and, and for them, you know, they, they recognize like what a privilege it was for them to do this, but also to like show off like how much waste we have within our store and just even when the expiration date and learning about that. So that is what really set me on fire. That's a whole other episode I would love to do. It's just like, I, I'm, we've kind of like been slowly tapping into each subtopic of, you know, climate change um, and just connecting to your food. Mm-hmm. Um, but I used to work in a grocery store and I used to witness firsthand how much food waste there, we would throw away mm-hmm. and the excuse that they would always give. And this is very common for large corporations to say is um, we cannot donate it. It's a liability issue. If somebody gets sick, it can come back on us, which is actually untrue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I covered this in a, in a previous podcast episode briefly, but I think that's a fact that people would be really shocked to learn um, whether they are in a grocery store or working for one. Um, it is it is the actual choice of the corporation and it is solely for monetary purposes, has no other purpose than that. So if you really want to get even more fun. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> it's all for money. Thank you. Okay. I found it. It's called Just Eat It, A Food Waste Story. So please watch it. Great. Yeah. We'll have to link that. But Katie, yeah. that is so like, you saw it, you witnessed it firsthand. And I can only imagine like the fury that you felt, you know, or just like the rage that you're like, what? We can't donate it because of monetary discretions here. Like people need food. We need food to survive. Like it's such a crazy concept to me. And what I did notice though, during the pandemic, a lot of grocery stores were more willing to donate. Right. And that's why we had a lot of food banks. I was working at a food bank during the pandemic. So that was, a. it's kind of sad that it had to come to that. Right. Like silver lining, there's no food at the grocery store. So. And do you guys donate all of your food to food banks from so? Or what do you do with the extra food? So with all of our extra food, we will put it at the community fridges or we will partner with schools and donate to them. So keeping it local. We do have some food banks and we've tried to donate to them, but they have local, um, like, uh, for example, um, Food Forward will donate in abundance to them a little more. So we kind of just keep it to like neighbors and residential. That's great. Yeah. All right. Um, so Stephanie, what we love to do at the very end of each episode when we have a guest is let you leave the audience with something to chew on, something to really carry away with the episode. Um, so if you could leave them with something, whether a sentence, a thought, um, something to take away, what would it be? I would love to leave all the listeners with how would you like to better connect with your food? Like, what is it about food that, I guess, what is your food story? And I just would love for you guys to think about it. And when you're eating your next favorite meal or anything, think about like what your food story is and why it is 
what that represents for you. Beautiful. Perfect. (laughs) Thank you so much, Stephanie. We really appreciate having you on. Uh, We will link all of the links in our description so the listeners can follow you, uh, learn more and get educated. Um, For the listeners, you can follow us at the Coconut Grove Pod on Instagram and TikTok. You can follow Ashley at Ashley Hansen and me at Katie Dustin. And please get involved in this conversation, get involved in your communities. Uh, Reach out to So if they're in your community. And if not, find somebody else and get involved or create your own. We're really excited for you guys to enjoy this episode. Thank you so much. This was the Coconut Grove. Mm -hmm.